What's up, everyone? This is Matt Hewitt. And before we get started today, I wanted to just thank you all for listening and participating in the podcast. This is um, something that I started out to do for fun and uh, as a creative outlet, and I'm just loving it. Um, I'm hoping that over time that the interviews, uh, my interviewing style get better. I think the, the I, I've done, this will be my third interview that I just completed and I am just having a blast. And, and I, I want to, you know, I want to thank you. If there's things that, that you hear that you think like we could do better or things that you want to talk about, feel free. You can, you can reach out right on the anchor app and, um, you can you can send me a message. You can I'm on Twitter, Matt Dude on Food. We will be having our own Twitter handle for the show getting getting uh, started pretty soon. But I just want to thank you for uh, for being a part of this and and taking the time to listen. Uh, I hope that you enjoy what's coming up. Uh, I'm really excited about the interview that we just completed. So thank you again for participating and and being here along this journey with me. I do appreciate it. Peace. Good morning. Hello. Don. I can hear you. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. What? I think uh, we're just going to get right into it. Okay. So um, I'm going to give a little intro, and, and then we'll, we'll we'll get started. How about that? Works for me. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Into the Friar, Ramblings from the Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> I love the redundancy of that. I'm your host, Matt Hewitt, and I am joined today by a longtime friend, uh, Don Scruggs. Hola. Uh, what's up, Don? What's up, Maddie? Oh, not too much. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, I know we had some technical difficulties on our first go-round, so thanks for being patient <laughs> and, and letting me get this get this shit figured out. Uh, uh, anyway. I'm going to give a little background of how we know each other, and then and then we'll, uh, we'll start, I'll start asking you. I'll start bombing away on some questions. <laughs> no worries. So uh, a little intro for Don, and you can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Don grew up in the LBC, same same little city that I grew up in, Long Beach, California. Um, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, what's up? <laughs> we're, both, we're, we're both well qualified to represent the LBC, I've been told. Oh, absolutely. Um, um we we first met. Where did you? I, I don't know where you went to elementary school. I do know where you went to junior high and high school because that's about when we first met. Uh, Don went to Rogers Junior High and Wilson High School. She's about a, I think one year ahead of me in school. Yep. And I went to Lowell and Naples and Signal Hill. I actually went. Yeah. So me and Lori went to Lori Prelis and I. <laughs> We went uh-huh. to Naples together, but I was only there like a year, two years. And then I went to Lowell. And then, no, Lowell first, Naples second, then Signal Hill. Cause you know, the genius in me got pushed up to the wonderful 
scholastic programs of uh, academics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember, like, the SHARP programs and stuff? Yeah, uh, that was yeah. the SHARP program. <laughs> so I went to SHARP at Signal Hill. I, You know, I, I was too scared. <laughs> I was too scared to do that. <laughs> it was cool. Like, 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 you know, that's it's funny that you mentioned that. I guess – so we'll come back to that in just a moment because <laughs> I'm going to pump you up right now. Oh my God. So, so from the, from the time that I met Dawn, she was like the most badass of badasses. <laughs> like, like every, every year I remember looking in our yearbooks in junior high and then I think even into high school, like best female athlete, just all around freaking, I'm not, I'll use the male term stud because that's kind of, <laughs> you were, you were freaking, she was a badass basketball player, badass. Uh, you did softball too, right? No, I were actually so. Just no, no, no. Yeah, let me toot my own horn. So yeah, I uh, was MVP <laughs> actually of Rogers track, basketball, and volleyball teams. Right. My eighth and ninth grade year, and we won championships right. in volleyball and basketball. Woo woo! So yeah. yeah, it's real funny. Fast forward like 35 years, uh, Mr. Ching, who was the championship coach winning coach at Rogers, was still at Rogers and was coaching against my son in a football game and had to tell my son what a stud his mom was in junior high. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. And, then, and, then, and we, had a lot of, we had a lot of mutual friends, and then I think, uh, you know, just as, as things happened, we got through what got into high school, and, and uh, you still kicked ass in sports, I remember. I mean, I played, I I played uh I played basketball and football my my junior and senior year. I think I played basketball all three years, but I wasn't quite to the level of badassery as you were on the, on the basketball court, although I wanted to be. Um, but in any case, it, as as so often happens, you know, we go through high school and then everyone just kind of, you know, you have that core group of friends. And, and, and like I was interviewing another guy that we went to school with last week, Brett Baker, and it was one of those things where he and I kind of just – it was one of those mutual things of where, like, yeah, we just we would see each other and be friendly, but our, our friend circles, we were, and I use the word on the periphery of Iran. Like, there was a time when we would we would interact and have have kind of co have you know kind of just be ming- co mingling in the same circles, and then and then the circles would would spin away from each other, and then at you leave that's high life. school, and that's kind of just life. The, just life. the circles of life as a uh, who was it Mufasa. Rafiki. There we go. There we go. Fine. We're gonna go. We're gonna we're gonna drop all kinds of references, I'm sure. And I will I will try to I will keep up with you as I hope that you would do with me. I don't know if your if your mind is like mine at all. It just kind of runs in weird weird. I don't know. We're from Long Beach. That's a, that's how we think. That's why we can communicate in our own language. That's why everybody from Long Beautiful. Beach understands Snoop. That's but right. nobody else does. That's right. He was he was just here. He he just was here and he played like we have this uh in Salt Lake they do these cool like summer concert series where the tickets uh-huh. are like ten bucks. Uh-huh. And he just played like like two or three weeks ago. That's DJ cool. Snoopadelic. Yeah, yeah was, see? And we know exactly a, what he's talking about. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so um funny so going back to freaking Mr. Ching, uh, that's what we were. Do you remember about. him? We're gonna cut. Yeah, totally. So I heard. So he left 
Rogers, I think, when when we had that last. So my year was like the last ninth grade year, and then they had eighth graders and ninth graders migrate. Do you remember that was like a big to do in Long Beach? Yeah, switching over to a four year high school, right. all that all that stuff. And then I think he went to another. He went to another high school. I want to say maybe Hughes or Marshall or one of those other schools. And then I I heard from um, who was my I don't know who it was Brandon Hovard or one of our one of our other like people around our age I was talking to recently. It might have been Eric Johnson, as a matter of fact, said that Mr. Ching is now back at he's he was he was gone for a long time and then came back to Rogers and he's been been back at Rogers. But but uh, similar story. I don't th- I th- man I don't know if it was where he was tooting someone's horn or like giving their kid like hey your you know your parent over here was freaking you know they might just you might just think they're your parent now but but back in the day they were like no one no one no one could hold a candle to them on 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 any uh sport but he was always he was one of those guys him him and mr seymour mr seymour dude mr seymour i don't know if you were on our thread on facebook when we were talking about the little bike shorts and mr seymour he used to do that shit to us on purpose, Matt. I don't know if he used to slash y'all, but he used to flash us on purpose with the little bike shorts. No, I, 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 my experience with him was one of completely different. Oh no, he was amazing, and we all thought it was funny. It wasn't. We didn't think it. See, here's the here's the twisted part of all of us. None of us ever thought it was on any like disgusting level. We just thought it was funny. Like there yeah. was, he never got in trouble oh. for it. No one ever reported him because no one was ever tripping. You know what I mean? We didn't even look at it like that. We just looked at it like this old no. dude doesn't really see what's going on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, but I remember. So, so Mr. Ching and Mr. Seymour, like they, those two guys, really had like a huge impact on me. Like from, they still do. Like, like I remember the first game I played for Mr. Seymour. Freaking was um, eighth grade year basketball game against Washington mm-hmm. at junior high, and freaking Patrick Booker was our scorekeeper. If you remember, Patrick <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I and I and and the reason that I like I'll like the details of the whole moment like forged something for me that was like it helped me in my career later on. Trip, trip check this out. So. I go up to I knew I had a pretty good game and so I mm-hmm. went up to Patrick after and I'm like, Hey Pat, how many how many what did I score? Uh-huh. And and he's like, Oh, you scored twenty three and I was like, Sweet and my dad was standing right next to me and I, my dad was like five seven, like he's no big man, you know, and, and at, at eighth grade I'm probably close to equal height as my dad. Right. And Mr. Seymour is freaking huge, like six four right. and just a big, big, big man. And Right as the words leave Patrick's mouth, I feel this freaking just vice grip on my bicep, you know, like by the back of the, kind of like by the back. Uh-huh. And, and Mr. Seymour like freaking spins me around and he's like, he's like, son, it doesn't matter how many points you score as long as the team wins. And always remember, <laughs> there's no, no, no I in team. I in team. Yep. That was there's Mr. no Seymour. I in team. And, Oh, holy shit. I just got goosebumps right now. I just got goosebumps talking about it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to, we're eventually, hey, everyone, just be patient. Eventually we're going to talk about food and all that kind of stuff. Just <laughs> <laughs> travel down memory lane. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, 
but I, I just remember, like, I used that fucking line and that mentality. To, I still use it. Still yeah. use it. Like, today in my work, in the stuff that I do, you know, like, it's it kind of like as a chef, it helped forge my career because I, I was like – well, I'm the executive chef, but I'm not going to take credit for all this that hard work that my guys are doing. I'll right. take the blame when shit goes wrong, but I'm not going right. to. Like if they That's do the something awesome, I want them. To, oh man, it was it was like. That's like the team I, would, I would say that. Yeah, fuck, man. And then so and I had Mr. two Chain. defining. Yeah, I have two defining moments with Mr. Chain. Um So eighth grade, Rogers won the first girls basketball championship in Rogers history. Of course, MVP that season. So, in the championship game itself, um, we had to go to triple overtime to win. (laughs) And three of our starters uh, fouled out. So, three of our starters had fouled out by the fourth quarter. So, that triple overtime was just me and another starter. And then, I mean, it's girls junior high school. And it's girls junior high school basketball in the early 80s when it wasn't popular to play girls basketball. So it wasn't like all yeah. these little athlete athletic teams that you kind of see now because it's kind of cool to be a girl basketball player now. Well, yeah. so they were really awful. <laughs> and the other team had its entire team, you know what I mean? And it was just tough. And there was a couple times when I legitimately wanted to cry because it was the championship, you know what I mean? And he just looked at us. He was like, do not quit. I don't care what's going on. He was like, there's still five bodies out there. We can do this. And we won. You know what I mean? So it gave me this, like, never quit moment. Like, okay, really, if you really put your heart into something and you really know you're prepared, you will win. Okay, so that has stuck with me forever. Now, (laughs) another defining moment. Ninth grade year, I decide for the first time ever I'm going to ditch. And it's in the middle of basketball season. (laughs) And my dumb ass gets caught. Like, because my stupid ass legitimately goes across the street from my house as if I'm not going to be seen across the street from my house on the peninsula in the ninth grade at 10 o'clock right. in the morning, right? right? So I get back to school, and it's Mr. Ching that greets me. And he's like, seriously? He's like, we've got a game this week, and you're suspended, so you don't get to play. And I, and he was like, and like, he pulled me into the locker room <laughs> and chewed me out. You know what I mean? He was oh, like, wow. you're the MVP. He was like, you're the best girl basketball player in the city of Long Beach. And he told me at the time, he was like, High school and junior high school. He was like, and you chose to ditch during basketball season when we need you. He was like, you've let this entire team down. You've let this entire school down. He was like, quite frankly, if the people in the city knew, you'd let this entire city down. Oh, my God. Can you imagine walking back to fourth period that way? I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) I'm I'm 12. I'm 12, and I've let down thousands of people already. And here's the funny thing, Matt, I swear to God, if you can find a Rogers yearbook, your eighth grade year, if you look at the girl's basketball picture, I'm not smiling, and really you can see there's something wrong with my eyeballs, because they're bloodshot, because I was boo-hooing all day long, and then the, the journalism class comes in, like, we're taking pictures today, I'm like, oh, Hey! <laughs> yeah, I'm on, I purposely put myself at the bottom of the human, at the bottom of the human triangle, or pyramid, or whatever it's called, so that no one could really see me. My face was all puffy, I think I put my glasses back on. Yeah, it was the most, like, oh, yeah. gut-wrenching, humiliating, like, non-on-the-court 
feeling I've ever felt. Because he, you know, Mr. Ching, you know, he was very direct. And he pulled no yeah. punches. You know what I mean? He was like, you let this entire team down, this entire school down. I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> an yeah. incredible amount of pressure for one child. But, yeah, I get it. That was stupid because I, all I wanted was some French toast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to head over to Chuck's this morning. And, uh, <laughs> right? That's exactly where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we lived across the street, no. Matt. You know where we lived? <laughs> you and Laura used to come skateboard. We lived across the street from Chuck's. I went to yeah. Chuck's. Yeah. And went in um, and ordered as if I wasn't going to get caught. <laughs> yeah, that's that's freaking hysterical. That's freaking oh my hysterical. god. I I remember I remember like playing. Mr. Ching would there was like a group of us. It was like me, Chris Yeager, um, uh, every once in a while I think it was like Marcus Branch, and then in ninth grade year I think it was um, Eric Johnson would get. But we Mr. Ching was like his best friend. Do you remember Mike Kellison? Yes. Okay, so Mike Kellison went to Hill Junior High, and he was like the he was like seven feet tall in like eighth grade. Right. And he was like right. like every time we were playing, he would be like the guy that we were like, okay, we need to prepare for him, and we need to prepare for fucking Billy Sackdalon, because those are going to be the <laughs> two guys at Hill that are. Gonna oh my god! If you don't, if you're not, if you're not safe. So Mr. Ching was like best friends with Mike Kellison's older brother. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's like. And so Mr. Ching was like, he would call you on like a Saturday. Hey, you want to, like, off season, you know, you're not, whatever. And he'd be like, hey, do you want to come play hoops at Roger's gym uh-huh. on the set? Uh, you know, and you like, you show up and you, you see like, you see like Mike Kellison there and you're like, fuck, what the fuck is this, dude? Like, <laughs> like, like, you know, like, but it was, <laughs> you're bringing an enemy onto our territory? What the hell? Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> but, uh, but you had, but you learn. It taught. It taught me like. And, and Mr. Ching was always good about like he. The way he delivered messages. He was direct, but he was always kind of like for me. Anyway, it was funny. The, he well for me it was like like he delivered the message how I was going to hear it best. He was. He seemed like he always was really good at reading people. It seemed like in any well, yeah. case. Well, yeah. Probably why he was. My, that's why he was direct with me. You know, I was yeah, stubborn and hard headed. Yeah. I just got to give it to her like it is, or she's not going to get it. <laughs> But it, but it was, it was that, it was that about, hey, you can, you can, like, these guys, just because they go to the opposite junior high or the opposite school of you and they're like one of your rivals, you, you know, like, you can still have a mutual respect and be friendly with them, like, yeah, off the court. Like, you don't have to, you know, carry that. And, and that was, but just like that mutual, that respect thing of like respecting your opponent and like, you know, Well, that was his whole, like, that was kind of part of his premise of that tongue lashing I got, is that, you know, I disrespected all of the work that, you know, our entire team was doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was the whole thing. He was like, you weren't thinking about your teammates at all. You weren't considering them at all. You weren't a good teammate in that decision at all. You know what I mean? And it really, like, you know, I'm me. I I went home and, like, totally internalized all of it and, like, thought about it. You know what I mean? And then (laughs) legitimately became, like, the epitome of the most amazing teammate, like, from then on. Right. Other than talking trash. Other than talking trash and pushing people. (laughs) Well, that was was one of the fun parts. That was one of the fun parts. Um, Oh, but uh, girls don't like being trash talked to. So when I would talk trash, they'd get their feelings hurt and they'd get mad at me. You know, it's a little different with girls. Oh, if you push a little the more right feely. button with guys, if you push the right button with guys, they don't want to be trash talked either. 
Well, that's true. But it's funny. Our when you were in seventh grade, Mr. Ching every now and again would make me go practice with the boys. Like we were in off season, we were in track, and if we didn't have track practice, he would have me go practice with the yeah. with the boys. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "This we is the only way you're going to get better." And we had some pretty, we had some pretty badass dudes that that came. Through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that was like a that was like a special. T- it's funny because I don't know uh, if you keep up with. Long, you know, Wilson or more league high school sports, but no, I totally Polly do. Wilson, Polly Wilson game was on Friday, right? Uh, and it's so two days ago, and Polly kicked the shit out of Wilson, forty-two to six. I saw that. <laughs> but yeah, you guys were I the one team. Did. You guys were the team that beat them, right? It was your year, yeah, wasn't 91. it? Ninety-one. Ninety-one. Yeah. So, so what was really funny is we had like, oh, who was the um. When we were seniors, I think Long Beach State still had a football program. Yeah. And well, when yeah, Long Beach State was right program was like in our high school was when they got rid of it when we were in high school. Yeah. So I think I think like it was one of the last years because I think Willie Brown, uh, the ex Raiders cornerback, took over as head coach for yeah for. Uh, okay. I remember a couple of dudes out of the class of 90 actually took football scholarships to Long Beach State. So somewhere, but, like, didn't play, like, 91, 92 or something like that. So I remember he came, Willie Brown came and gave us a freaking, I mean, like, I didn't grow up a Raiders fan, but you grew up a football fan, you know who freaking Willie Brown is. Oh, yeah, I know who Willie Brown is. Iconic, iconic thing on, like, NFL films of him, like, coming down the sideline. And and he came and gave us a pep talk. It was really awesome. So they had that year. That year. So they hadn't beat. It was like a. It was like a big deal because we were we were like leading up to the game. People had recognized that we were pretty good. We had some freaking special dudes on our team. You did. Um, Y'all did. Oh fuck. Y'all did. Because that was the uh, Frank Russell. The uh, freaking. Kevin, Kevin McKenzie, McKenzie, yeah. Kelvin Nelson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marco Ford. We had team. some studs. We yeah. had some freaking studs. I wasn't too shabby out there. You know? I mean, you started, you couldn't have been too shabby. Anybody that started on a squad had to be decent. You may not have been great. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't. But I always remember you being one of the top. Thinking, well. Like, you always started, and you always played great defense. Well, you know, I was the, I I I I'm gonna give myself a little pat on the back here. Starting tight end, starting outside linebacker, long snapper, and I only came off for like kickoff return. See, yeah. <laughs> on a and, team that beat and, a team that you know a national powerhouse year after year, decade after decade. And, Boom. Yeah. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little further. <laughs> so in ninth grade, my ninth grade year, we had some athletes at our school at Rogers right. Junior High. I had Shane Loger, who went on to like Pepperdine, I think won a national championship in freaking baseball. Chris Yeager who ended who Shut, was I didn't know Shane played at Pepperdine when they won. Shut the front door. I think so. I I think he was or maybe yeah, I think he was. Mm. I think he was there. I actually remember Shane from if surfing. If not he might have gone to Bi- he might have transferred to Biola, but I think he was there. So okay. Shane Loger, but we had Steve Conley, who I think now is still in the A's organization as like a scout. Right. Jaeger, who was like a freaking 
like little white but white chocolate before there was white I remember. chicken <laughs> with <laughs> with uh I, mean, I used to so, tell people I thought so, it was mixed. He ain't real he ain't all white. <laughs> so, so it was like and you had Eric Johnson who like so Eric Johnson uh uh Eric Johnson, Shane, Chris, all three like Chris was a baseball stud and a basketball stud. Eric yeah. was a freaking basketball stud, volleyball, you know, and then I got voted athlete of the year. That's all that <laughs> athlete. Like, like as a sports award, I was like, holy shit, how does this happen? Well, you know what's you know, funny? showed up and... So, yeah, at Rogers, I won all those MVPs in eighth and ninth grade, right? And so, at the sports banquets, I got athlete of the year at both, but in the yearbook, I didn't get best girl athlete, I got best dress. <laughs> yeah. Megan, do you remember Megan? Uh, what was Megan, her last Megan name? Dunn. She was a full. Megan Dunn? Yes, Megan Dunn yeah. got that. So I mean, she did you know run marathons. Then, <laughs> then she was running marathons and doing Ironman. Then, I so I I remember being in junior guards with her. Yes, <laughs> she probably kicked everybody's ass. She was awesome. She was yeah. so awesome. We I mean we just. Like I tell uh, people, so I don't live in Long Beach now. Obviously, I've talked about this on, on. I live in Salt Lake City, but everywhere I've gone and traveled, like, like I've been lucky enough to travel and live in certain areas for different times throughout my career. Mm-hmm. And I'll go and I'll and I'll be like, we'll be talking, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, hey, I have a story. And people are like, oh yeah, you're gonna fucking talk about Long Beach again? Or, you know, like, I know. Oh, We'll be talking about sports, like like we'll be talking about sports or something, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, you want to know something?" And they're like, "Not if it's about fucking Long Beach." And I'm like, "I'm like, what are you, what's wrong with you?" I'm like, "I'm like, what's wrong with you people?" Like, Everybody that's come Long Beach to go somewhere else has those stories. I'm like, I'm proud of where I come from, and and we were flipping amazing. Long Beach Poly- yeah, I'm like, did you know that Long Beach Poly Highs has produced the most? NFL athletes out of any school in the country, and people are like, shut up. We're sick of hearing your fucking long beach. Like, oh, I <laughs> yeah, when I was going to high school keg parties, the back of our band was sublime. Right. Like, right. No one can right. live. They're like, no one can live with that such a fantasy. And I'm like, it just I know. Time. It was like a special time to be. It really was. Party. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What a. This has been a fun, fun start to our conversation. What is it really has. Not a lick of food has been talked about. <laughs> oh man! So we're laughing and smiling, um, and we're gonna we're gonna. I'll touch on some of the other some of those lessons that we learned. But tell me how. Um, tell me and everyone that's listening, all four people, <laughs> that how you got started in the food industry, because we were talking about it before we started trying to do the first interview, and I thought it was really freaking interesting. So so you're on. Go for it, Don. Okay. So if I remember right, I was kind of touching on the fact that I felt deprived as a child because of the bodybuilding history of my parents. Does that sound familiar? Yes, so. but okay. unfortunately, yeah, so... we never recorded any of that shit, so you got to <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta go right back to the beginning. Okay, so the beginning of my interest in food, especially sweets, um, really started because my parents were super health fanatics, and they were bodybuilding when I was a kid. And it was just the three of us, and, you know, them bodybuilding and dieting for contests required me to also eat the same foods, have the same kind of lifestyle. 
And as a kid, when you see, you know, the now, it's, you know, there's Snickers bars and M&Ms and Baskin Robbins and candy stores everywhere, and you're not supposed to eat it only because your parents are doing something. <laughs> you get a little obsessed with that <laughs> that issue, you know. And I literally became obsessed with everything sweet. So, like, I was, you know, we were all Lasky kids. It was just kind of like our generation, you know what I mean? Mom yeah. and dad were both at work, you know what I mean? So I would scrounge it. You know, back then, I mean, a dollar fifty went really far at the liquor store. So like, oh, yeah. oh my God! I mean, our candy bars were a quarter. So I would literally scrounge up a dollar fifty every day after school. But I'd get six candy bars and I'd eat all six every day oh, yeah. after school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it just kind of like enhanced and created this like. I mean, I would say semi obsession. Uh, I always have way too many cavities and have now can admit I have a sugar addiction. Um. <laughs> so, and let me ask you real quick, what uh, what kind of sweets were you more of, like chocolate and always uh, chocolate, kind of like the savory, or did you get never savory, ultra sweet? So like, those. yeah, so like almond yeah, joy was a big go to for me. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cup was a big go to for me. Uh-huh. I, you know, I get I got the now and later because I always had pennies left over, and back then you could buy a pack of now and later five cents. You always had five pennies. So I mean, I would get the now and later's, but I wasn't real and like red vine. But those are really kind of the only, like, not super sweet candies I liked. I was yeah. more decadent. If I could, you know, if it, if every liquor store sold a piece of cake, like, those little Nemo <laughs> that they start selling. When they start selling those, I kind of started abandoning candy. And every time I could see cake, I would buy cake. I would literally buy cake every day if I could. I'd eat cake at every meal if I could. Cake and soda. If I could just live and survive healthily off of cake and soda, I would do that. Those are my two favorite, oh, yeah. like, I'm sure in a parallel <laughs> universe we could do that. <laughs> um, but it just kind of piqued my interest at, you know, I don't know if you remember. Oh, God. Okay. So this is going to go way back when we went. The Marketplace, when it was the original Marketplace and had the movie theater and it didn't have, like, it was even before Claim Jumper was in there. There used to be this little bakery slash deli. Kind of where, do you know, can you picture the marketplace now where Trader Joe's is? There used yeah. to be this, like, where where the now Bunt cake is. There used to be this little, like, old school bakery. And off to the side, it had this deli. And so what would happen is my dad for a long time worked in San Diego. And so my mom used to sneak me to this bakery. It was like we weren't supposed to be eating there. But it was like our four-way into, like, regular life when it was just sure. the two of us. And so I would be able to get a really good sandwich from the deli. And then I'd go over to the, this bakery, and they have the neatest stuff. It was, like, the first place where I ever saw, like, a cookie that was that actually looked like Cookie Monster or, like, a cupcake that was, like, shaped like Kermit the Frog and, like, these really cool wedding cakes. And I just kind of, like, got lost in this, like, sugar wonderland. So ever since, I, like, would, you know, I'd look at wedding magazines, but just for the wedding cakes. And I'd look right. at, you know, like, Vogue and, you know, my mom always had Vogue's and stuff like that around because she did hair. But I'd always go to the food section. <laughs> and I'm looking at the food part, like, what do they have? My mom and dad even had, like, muscle and fitness stuff at home sitting around because of the bodybuilding. And I would go look at the recipes. Like, oh, how do you make smoothies? And it's just always kind of been this thing that, like, in the back of my head, on top of the fact that grandma and my dad's side of the family had an opposite notion of food where it's like food is supposed to be for joy so when i would go to grandma's house i would always get to like indulge in this stuff they would oh you know they actually felt bad for me for this you know wheat germ brown rice boiled chicken breast lifestyle i had to live as a kid 
<laughs> yeah, they're, no. you're, you're like, you're like, oh, they're like, hey, drink this, and you're like choking on Metamucil, and you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, this, I'm yeah. already a regular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, when I went to grandma's, it was like McDonald's. I was like Eddie Murphy from Raw. McDonald's? I said McDonald's? <laughs> you know, it was, you know, if there was a cake made, I got to eat half the cake. You know what I mean? When there was frosting in the refrigerator, I got to eat it. It was, like, amazing. And so it just kind of enhanced my love for, like, really decadent food. Because they would, like, I, I found out as I got older, they would actually make special meals for me when I went over there on the weekend. So their food was always really decadent. It was always barbecue. It was always soul food. It was always comfort food. You know what I mean? It was always something made with a pound of butter and a bag of sugar. <laughs> so it it was like because I saw the differences in lifestyle, it made it very apparent to me what side of the fence I wanted to kind of be on. Sure. Um, and then, you know, uh, through my own personal issues, uh, nine to five aren't really my thing. I mean, I do them, I do them well, and luckily I've been able to pull away my, my Clark Kent, as I call it, into a nine to five that kind of suits my mentality because I work in animal medicine during the day. Right. Um, right. and that's like kind of perfect for my chaotic brainwaves, I'll say. Um, sure. but the traditional nine to five that I tried to do for a really, really long time that I was just failing tragically at, <laughs> um, this is not my thing. You know what I mean? Like, and so, my mom being a hairdresser used to always tell me, you know, you're really good at baking and you need to find something that no matter what happens, you can always make an income. Like my mom kind of beat that into my head. Um, and it was just kind of hard as a mom, you know, trying to be a soccer mom and, you know, only being 25 and holding down the nine to five and yada, yada, yada. Just the notion of like owning a business was like a little, a little difficult. Um, and then I had a baby that kind of made and it necessary. Is... Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I was, I, I mean, was thinking now uh, you're talking about yourself at being 25 and having, having yeah. a, a child and, and holding it down. And then, and then you have your mom as like survive, like the first order of business is survive. survive. Right? Yeah. And it yeah. survived, but she, you know, my mom knew that I had issues in the nine to five world. You know what I mean? And that's why she really started to kind of pump that notion into me, especially yeah. because I was like the baker for all of our holiday events. Like if we'd have like a holiday potluck. You know what I mean? Someone's coming up to me, hey, we need you to make this table for us. Hey, can you bring, you know, three dozen of these for us? And I was always, you know, down to do it, and everybody loved it. And so she was always pushing me, pushing me, pushing me to kind of go that route. Then I had a kid that he needs some, some extra attention. Um, sure. For a non-traditional amount of attention. And so it really had my mental thinking, okay, I really need to segue this into like a side business so that I can earn some extra money. So that, you know, I can compensate for the loss of the hours in the nine to five, but at the same time, like, maybe create this family business that eventually can be taken over. Because he, too, is not going to be the most uh, able to sit at a desk and do a nine to five. He loves to cook. Right. You know, he loves, he loves food. It's kind of the same mentality. So, you know, I'm trying to be, be a forward thinker for him. And so we are uh, full-fledged into Harley and Jack catering 100% at this point. Nice. So uh, let me, I'm going to kind of just fill in a, a little bit of a gap, if that's yeah, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, and, and, and then you can kind of expound on, on, on where I'm, I'm, so you are telling me about your son 
And I told, and I freaking totally get that. So you wanted to be, you had told me previously, like you would get called from schools or child care and then say, Hey, like we need you to come. And then, and then your nine to five job was like WTF. Yeah. Just taken off. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So then, so then, so then your, you had told me also that your mom kind of like how, she was always kind of like the financial guru of the family, so to speak, if I could put quotes, air quotes around that, where like exactly she kind of watched watch biz, business trends and, and different things and was, and was like, was like, hey, uh, I, we're going to come full circle to this, but like your mom was like, a, a number of years ago was like, hey, food trucks are kind of like, Coming up. Absolutely. And we're not talking about road, we're not talking about roach coaches. We're talking about like freaking the specialty freaking like high end. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And, and, Look, I was I was so, in the room with said I was in the room with said child and didn't want to throw him under the bus, so I left the room. So yeah. Oh, that's so fine. No, no. <laughs> we were talking in code for a hot second. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But okay. I, so basically. I, Basically, how that segued, sorry, basically how that segued is he's got ADHD really severely, and he's got ODD really severely, and it's funny because he's this, like, charming, wonderful, sweet ball of lies and difficulty, to be quite frank. (laughs) And so, yeah, what would happen is exactly that, is that, you know, my work ethic was impeccable. I was never late. I was never tardy. I was never problematic. It's that, you know, you can't have to go to pick up your kid every other day from work. You know, because they've had behavioral issues, and it was really affecting our finances. And as my mom being the financial guru, this was probably like 2009, 2010, she kept seeing all these specialties. You know, she's a LAPD police officer, and she was at the time working smack dab in the middle of downtown LA. So she was accustomed to the, you know, the roach coaches. They were all over the place downtown. Well, all of a sudden, she starts seeing these bright, sparkly, you know, pink ones, purple ones, green ones. And she was reading the sides of them and noticed they said stuff like sushi burrito, Korean barbecue, Mexican fusion. And so she started looking into it. And, yeah, it was their very beginning of the trend of this, like, explosion of gourmet food trucks. And it really, really intrigued her. So while we were having these problems, I'd actually already started to go to start with the culinary school at Long Beach City. Um, The idea was to actually become a baker and then potentially – own our own food truck. So then I got a job on what was called the Mighty Boba food truck. And it was more than, oops, sorry. It was more than just, uh, you know, your average stuff. It was actually like Taiwanese street food and boba tea. And so on the food truck, I realized that it was just a mess amount of work. I'm telling you, it was the first time I'd ever worked. You know, I'd always been a home cook and a baker. You know, I'd, I'd sold my, I had sold my baking and sold all my fudge and sold all that stuff. I had never really, like, been a line cook ever. And the difference, as you know, between baking and cooking is night and day. But they're two totally different entities completely. And so the first why I actually got hired on the Mighty Boba truck was to, to work the line. So it was, you know, two deep fryers and a 24-inch flat grill and that included, you know, serving pork chops, you know, grilled pork chops and fries, French fries, sweet potato fries and popcorn chicken. And it was the scariest freaking thing I've ever done in my entire life. And considering where we grew up, <laughs> considering where we grew up, and I've been in situations where I've had bullets fly by me and, 
you know, people next door getting robbed. For me to say cooking is the scariest thing that I've ever encountered. <laughs> That's pretty hungry, significant. Hungry people, hungry people staring at you is very, very. It's daunting. intimidating as hell. <laughs> and then, and then the the difference between a pork chop being juicy and pork jerky being 15 seconds, but there's 14 of them on a grill with two baskets uh, of frying chicken going at the same time. Oh yeah. Not my kind of stress. Oh, oh, that's so hysterical. You know that, that that you bring the fact that you bring that up about pork being juicy and pork being jerky as a matter of fifteen seconds. I love it because I just <laughs> in one of my very last jobs, I had we I worked at this extremely busy Mexican restaurant, mm-hmm. as uh, and my line cooks. We had this dish. It was like a pork loin dish with with a with a beautiful freaking. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with moles, but we did mm-hmm. we did this red pepion. We did this red pepion mole, mm. and we also did a like a one that was called a coloradito. And and they we had this like very like thin. I mean like like quart, less than a quarter of an inch, usually like thick like sliced pork loin. And I would tell my guys, I'm like, okay, look, look. Like really, literally thirty seconds on each side, and then and then and then take it off. Like thirty right. seconds on each side, take it off and let it sit for like a minute, and then you could you could put it in the mole and like toss it and then and then plate it. Oh, and and these guys, God bless them, they crank out. I mean, thousands of plates of food a day, and uh, they would freaking <laughs> they would just freaking murder this, murder this. Everybody got jerky mole. Oh, it was. <laughs> It was to the point where I went to the owners of the restaurant. I'm like, we need to we need to rethink this whole dish. And they're like, why it's so good? And I'm like, have you had it lately? Have you just ordered it? Like just not knowing that it's you, and they're like taking special attention for you, the owner, and just ordered it because I, I I can't like at that point I was like I'm trying and I I'm almost like I'm about 98 percent fluent in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm talking to them and I, to my guys and I'm just like I have I don't know how to like they just don't trust me when it comes to like everything has to be well done like I'm I'm getting to them on steaks I'm getting mm-hmm. to them you know like like but I can't get them on the freaking plate so let's let's rethink this whole thing but go ahead sorry <laughs> I I just it just reminds me yeah. of, it just reminds me when I'm like the battles of like okay man yeah it's so and good when it's done it, right. It's perfect. I mean, it's great when it's done right. And we had this, like, really good homemade teriyaki sauce that we used after. I mean, but teriyaki sauce on pork jerky is never good. And, like, I legitimately, I probably, I don't know, I probably trashed, like, three pork loins in, like, the first, I don't know, three weeks that I was there. No, that's that's not good. That's not good. So then it was my suggestion one day, like, hey, can I I just go to the front window? I've I've got a really big map. I talk a lot. I'm really good at it. And that kind of segued my way into being like this front of the house, like aficionado that I am now. Because I, nice. when I work with food trucks now, I tell them I won't go past the, uh, the 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 grill. I'm not going past the grill. I might throw something in the trash can for you. <laughs> I'll expedite stuff for you. I'll squirt barbecue sauce on it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> don't ask me to drop I anything. I can I can freaking shout people's names and oh I'm talking in and no like, I'm talking up draw tips. people in yeah yes. I'm drawing people in I'm talking up tips I'm doing all that but if you want me to drop anything on that grill I'm walking off 
he's, call me tomorrow. I'll, I'll, right. Maybe right. I'll be back. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. So, how long how long have you been doing how long have you been doing that? So I started doing that. I've been doing that now eight years. Wow. I've been doing that now. So years, you do yeah. your you do your freaking you do your freaking morning time job, your daytime job, and then and then like. Are you doing like multiple nights a week, or you know? So like now, especially because of, yeah, it's you? really more just weekends, or if there's like a big event, like I did Anime Expo with them because that was a, that was a ginormous event. It was like I don't know, sixty thousand people at Staples Center, sure. you know, each day. So that was ginormous. I'll do big, big, big events, and then I do like Saturday stuff. If they have Sunday stuff, I'll do Sunday stuff. If every now and again they have something like real late night one night, I'll squeeze it in. Um, but since we've kind of started our own little catering slash, you know, events company, um, I haven't been able to do as much stuff with one of my trucks that I used to just because of, you know, bigger and better. <laughs> yeah, you got to you gotta look out for number one, right? Yes, yes, sir, especially you know, in this industry. It, it, yes, and you know, you know what's funny is, is I'm, I'm going to kind of go a little sidetracked. Is that doing doing the podcast has caused me to do what do you think? Listen to a bunch of podcasts, right? Right, right. And 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 like I'm I'm always listening to try to like find like a better technique or hey that's a great question or just listen to like uh, you know how people deliver things or what have you. Just I want to get better. Like I do this. I started doing this for a, just a creative outlet and to have fun and fuck man I'm having so much fun it's, it's insane <laughs> but like but like that that competitive spirit in me and that like fighter and that that person like I want to be really good like like right. someone like someone for someone once was like it, it doesn't matter if you win or lose like as long as you play hard and I'm like that's crap well, well that <laughs> I was like I'm like well that's crap. partially true I'm like, cause, cause I'm gonna tell you something. Winning is fucking fun, man. Like, like I, I mean, like, like, if I'm not winning, I'm definitely not having as much fun. Like, I will go out. There I was just gonna say that. Who's having more fun? The but, people that don't make it to the playoffs or the Lakers when they have the trophy? Who's having more fun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I just, I just, you know, like, win, winning is not the only thing. It's not everything. But, but like, if I can get closer to winning. I'm having more fun. So I've been having listening to the podcast. I, oh, hell yeah. So I, I've been having, like, uh, listening to all kinds of podcasts. And there was two two guys that I've been listening to recently. And, and I just thought of it because of what we were talking about. But this one guy, James Altucher, he's like um, he's like a weird investor. He's from New York. He's I, I don't say weird as in like he's weird. I say right. he's like I don't understand. He's like he's written a few books, but he he wrote this book, and I think I'm gonna probably download it in the next couple of days because I've been like perusing Audible. I do a lot of like audio books because I spend time oh. in the car. But but he wrote he wrote this book, and I think he's written two books. One is called Choose Your. He's I think he's written five books actually, but two books that stand out, and I can't think of the name of the second one. But the first one I believe was called Choose Yourself. Oh. And it's really it's really interesting because I was listening to one of his old podcasts and he had this other um this other author talking about, and the, oh man I'm gonna 
hopefully my I have some people that will call me up and be like, here's your facts that you screwed up on. But we <laughs> had this other author on, and and this guy, it's like a business podcast, and so he taught, he brings like all these, like this guy's not like he's not like a Joe Schmo off the street, like he's dude, people like he knows this stuff. He's like, hey, here. Well, he's like talking about cryptocurrency and people are like kind of leaning their ear and going, okay, fuck, man, maybe this is important. Like, um, but, but him and this author, the the other, other author talked, wrote a book about artists, like, uh, shouldn't starve, like a a good artist should thrive or something like along the line. But they were talking about all these examples of people like choosing themselves over like choosing choosing to work in a system or work for someone else's ideas right. was really interesting and they brought up they brought up um they brought up William Shakespeare because apparently at the beginning uh what he he just was like the playwright and worked for the production company that was owned by a guy and the, the guy owned this land that they built his theater on and then but William Shakespeare owned the theater and then he found a loophole in the contract and was like screw this I'm going to take down the theater move it across town and do my it's going to be mine like screw this guy because he's screwing me or like they brought up they brought up um, Dr. Dre as one he's like okay so the both guys are talking and it's like one guy total like I don't I don't know what his religious background is but James Altucher when you hear his voice, you're like typical New York uh, Jewish man. Like, right. it's like when you think like your mind goes to like a stereotype, but you know, like other older white guy, not sure. But they're talking about how like in NWA, all the guys like, you know, Dre and Cube and all the, they all like got screwed. Right. Right. And so then Dre's like, Dre's like, fuck this. I'm going to go to, uh, I'm gonna partner with Suge and we're gonna do Death Row, and right. then you know they get into it and Dre's like, fuck, w- w- you know, like kind of like basically, what the fuck did I get myself into? Like, this is not how I want to do things, and he walked away, you know. And at the time, they, they probably had, the, they probably had like the correct information. Like he was 50% partner in a 20 million dollar record label and just walked away with fucking zero, right? Basically. And was like, screw it. And then, and then, you know, like, and like, now he's going to do aftermath. Right, right. But he chose like, he, like multiple times. He's like, fuck, I, I'm choosing myself. And then he was like, that wasn't right. I'm going to try it again. Well, here's so the funny thing. Me. Do you remember the first aftermath compilation, like, album or whatever it would be called? I don't know, it was CD at that point, but it wasn't very good. Or it didn't do very well. I can't say that it wasn't very good. It didn't do very well. It sells didn't do very well. And everybody was, like, speculating that he had already lost, like, his touch or whatever. And the funny thing is, it was, like, The Firm was on it, Eminem was on it. Like, everybody that, like, ended up being, like, huge (laughs) was on this album. This, like, compilation of Aftermath, like, his introduction to Aftermath. And everybody, me included, I wasn't fond of it uh, at all. I was like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) You know, you know, fast forward 25 years or whatever, he's a billionaire. Beats. Yeah, be um, but I, but so so to me, and I and I went off on this tangent because that's it sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah, like I kind yeah yourself, like you're choosing yourself to like you're I got to do this little piece over here to to make another leap forward and then take a chance. I'm going to take a chance on myself. 
Exactly. That is exactly what is happening. And it's really, you know, like my son and the journey that I've been on with my son has been kind of the catalyst of that. Um, because sure. people with mental issues are an underserved community um, mm-hmm. in every facet of life. You know what I mean? They get the, less, the least amount of support, even though oftentimes, especially emotionally, need the most. You know what I mean? There's the fewest amount of resources for them. Um, there's fewer amount of people to help them navigate the resources. And, you know, job. You know, when you go down Skid Row, and especially with my mom being LAPD now, <laughs> when you go down yeah. Skid Row, a lot of those people, you know, they didn't start off down there on drugs. You know what I mean? They started off down there homeless because they have mental issues and couldn't stay in their house. And then it's this whole spiral of, of issues. You know what I mean? Like a lot of yeah. people that end up with really bad, you know, addiction issues started off mentally ill and no tools or the right chemicals to help them cope. You know, and yeah. a lot of times... A lot of times, sometimes that just starts with somebody saying, hey, I got your back. Hey, I've got this research for you. Hey, I've got this job for you. And in recognizing some of the issues that my son, you know, parents can, I don't care what anybody says, parents can see the future. You know what I mean? Parents can, yeah. can see the paths that their kids are going on. Parents can see some of the things that their kids are going to encounter. A lot of times because they lived it. And I, you know, with the, the issues that he has just now scholastically, I know that he didn't, if he weren't his own boss, he would have issues. Or if his boss isn't understanding of who he is, he'd have issues. So us owning a food truck, us owning a food truck, he becomes his own boss. Even if he tries to segue into something else eventually, you know what I mean? And he wants to do his own thing and decides, Mom, I don't want to do the food truck thing. I'm going to go do bleh. If bleh fails, (laughs) he always has an income. (laughs) He always has an income to come back to because Mom understands that there's going to be a lot of bleh in the future that fails. So he always needs to be able to be self-sufficient. So, like, this food truck is kind of going to be our foundation of him always being able to be self-sufficient. And then, you know, we try to build off of it. That That is, like, one of the most nurturing and heartfelt things I think I've ever heard. Aw, thank you. It's funny coming from me, huh? (laughs) No. No. I have lost the antithesis of what, like, Holly Homemaker, soccer mom, (laughs) looks like. It doesn't... But being a mom, being being a parent, and and like, I, I mean, your kids are. I have I started way late, and your your kids are. Oh okay, yeah, I'm uh, almost done. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got I've got 25 and 15. Yeah. So so I mean, like, it, it's one of those things of like, you know, like, you just you go through. You have you know your younger your younger child is your son that. That, that we've been talking about, right? And your older mm-hmm. one went through and like yeah. learned and did things, and you still feel this. I'm sure you've. Uh, I mean, we don't, we're not focusing on on your older child, but still feel the same way. And like I'm gonna. Oh, absolutely. And and you know. And we'll do the same things that. for her if she needed that. Yeah, of course, of course. Like, but it's one of those things to ha- to think about that foresight. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take control of my life. I'm gonna take control of of the things that I'm doing. And able to to be able to teach my son A, B, and C, and to be able to try to do the best I can to provide him with a path that's going to be the best for him. Like yeah. we're making all these sacrifices, right? As yeah, opposed yeah. to like <laughs> the other way around of trying to fit the fit the son into a mold that that quite frankly, I'm not a psychologist or a doctor in any way, but but like quite frankly, what it seems like is that people tend to try to fit the kids into a mold 
as opposed to trying to figure out who the themselves. exactly. Oh, fuck. You're, yeah, you're, so. you're exactly right. People try to formulate who they want their children to be as a yeah. as opposed to figuring out who their children are and helping them with that. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's where a lot of conflict and stuff starts to come in because we all, you know, I mean, and, you know, it, it, we were all programmed to do that. You know what I mean? You can't, you know, blame our parents or even blame the, anybody's parents necessarily for that because, that's, you know, that's kind of how everybody models things. And that's why, but the, at the same time, why a lot of parents have problems with their, you know, 17 to 26-year-olds. Because <laughs> yeah. at 17 to 26, they are deciding, I don't want to do anything that mom and dad said. <laughs> yeah. Like, basically, we're learning, like, you have to teach them the difference between right and wrong and then just and then let it, and hope for the best. Be, <laughs> and be like the training wheels, you know? Yeah. Like, like, every once in a while, or, you know, like, you're like, okay, just boop, boop, and you're kind of, like, running behind them after you've taken the training wheels off, and you, like, have your arms, behind, you know, like, on the side, so you're like, okay, just, oh, but not, you know, you're kind of just, like, pushing them back up straight right. instead of, like, instead of, like, here, fucking stay straight. Here, you know, like right. teach them the difference between right and wrong, and then let them let them be who they they are. Who they are hurting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the oh, best. Man. What I you know I've had to learn that the hard way though because I actually parented my both of them totally different. I parented my daughter trying to fit her in a mold, but you know at nineteen right. that's what you know when you have your kids at nineteen and you're growing with them, <laughs> that's kind of what you think you're supposed to do because that's what your parents did to you. You know what I mean? Especially our generation of parents. Our generation of parents really you know, tried to get us to do the corporate structure like they did, I'll say. Everybody, you know, all of our parents pushed good job. Get a good job. You got to get a good job. As opposed to find out what your passion is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like, you go to co- like for years. Uh, go to college and get a good job. Yeah, fuck. And I still do this. Like, I still mentally, like, I look at someone that has gone to college and has a degree, I have a ton of, I've I've been able to come to like a different sort of respect and thought about it. I have a ton of respect for someone that has a college degree for the sole fact that I couldn't fucking do it. It just wasn't me. Like, like the more, and and I don't know if it was because I started smoking pot and like I got a taste of like partying and doing whatever, but I literally like at 19, 20 years old, I found working in kitchens and I started, I fucking fell in love. Yeah. I was like, the more time I spent in the restaurant, I was like, God, I I fucking hate school. Like, and, and I was always one of those, like I got to a certain point. I was like, Stay in line, do what I'm told. Stay in line, do what I'm told. And, and probably and miserable. Not necessarily miserable, but like not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. Like right. I was, I was going in like junior and senior year. I lived. Uh, I think I started like right. Forget what period. Uh, of it had to have been at the beginning of my junior year, like so, at some point. I stopped living with my parents, Ooh. any parents. I, lived, right. I went to live with my brother. I had a falling out with my with my mom and my then stepdad. We had a you know huge falling out. And my dad, my dad, God bless him, he's a fucking saint. My dad lived in L.A. and he recognized like at that point like he couldn't. Trans- and I wasn't gonna make. I wasn't gonna get recruited by fucking UCLA or Berkeley. You know, <laughs> right. I wasn't getting recruited to fucking athletic scholarship. But he recognized, like, if I 
was to transfer to a school in the LA Unified School District that most likely I would lose any kind of varsity athletic stature. Yeah. You know, and so it was one of those things where my dad was like, okay, well, your brother's here. He's 10 years older. Uh, you know, you can live there and you can, you know, I'll help pay the bills and do all that. And my dad let me stay in Long Beach. And, and, uh, but at that point I started to be like, fuck you. Well, yeah, I was like, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, like I, I was, I, but then I, I went back and I'm like, okay, I'm graduating from college and, or I'm graduating from high school. So next step is college. And okay, I'll go to Long Beach city and I'll play, I'll try to play football. And then, and then the, the freaking guys, I was 185 pounds and six feet tall in high school. (laughs) And I ran a four, five forty, which is pretty good. And then like the guys, the, the freaking coaches are like, okay, well, we want you to weigh 225 and run a four, five forty. And I was like, fuck this. You know, like, like, I'm like, I played football because it was fun, and this does not sound like fun. No, <laughs> it just sounds like real work. I started to, like, I started to, like, you know, like, gravitate away from, like, I need to, uh, I need, you know, then I, then I, like, started working in restaurants, and I, I was still going to college, but, like, the more and more I did restaurants, the more and more I knew college was, like, I, I just, I couldn't, I got to that point where I'm, like, okay, so I did all these years of I, I i completed calculus i've got, done all this i've done this i've done this and then now i have to go back and do more of that i was like what the fuck like it didn't like sit with me like i have to complete all these general education things that i just did for the last however many years and right then, and then now now i have to go and it just didn't freaking jive Right. And then I started to just like, I'm like, okay, but you know, we, we, it goes, seems like there's, there's a level of conformity that you have to have to like operate in society, but. That a lot of us just don't have. Well, like you still have to like, okay, so I work for someone. I'm working, you know, like we're, we're continuously working on like trying to, you know, like at certain points I've been my own boss and then I've had to like retool and like go and right. try something different, you know, but like, so you, you, you still, even if I was my own boss, like, like no you one would want to answer the people. And like, right. well, like if you want <laughs> to, if you want to work, work with people, yeah, if you want to work with people, if you want to do, if you want to own a home or you want to have kids and you want to raise them, Right. You probably got to have an income that's, you know, gotten that, you know, like, like if you're going to do these things, you still have to do A, B, and C. And that's a level of conformity that I think, like, everyone has to, you know, there's right. a certain level, but, but that minimum level, like, after that, you can be like, I'm going to choose to do this, or I'm going to, I'm going to operate this way, or I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So tell me about how you're getting your food truck and catering business started. And, and I know you had said you had a, a plan. And yeah. It, 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 so tell me about the plan and how you're going about it if you want to. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. If you want so, to, you don't have to. Look, especially no, no, especially because you know we're in the state of California. Or I am anyway, so I can talk about yes. this freely. <laughs> we can um, always, we can talk about anything we want. Yeah. So, um, I did the, I, you know, I did, my, I did my time with the Mighty Boba Truck. Uh, I like I said, I was on the grill for like five months. Hated it. Went to the front of the house. Loved it. Um, it became an entire different, an entirely different like entity to me. 
But in that three years of being in the front of the house, I did, like I said, realize that, oh, at this moment, it's way too much work as far as, like, paperwork for what I could handle. Um, it, my son was kind of in the middle of, you know, going through treatment, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with him that I had – I knew – that I needed to devote that time to him, I wouldn't be able to devote the time to the massive amount of paperwork you have to keep up with with these food trucks. So I kind of went back into 9-to-5 world, sort of. I found a 9-to-5, like I said, in, in animal uh, medicine that, like, is perfect because the schedule in animal medicine is a little chaotic. So it allowed me to still kind of cook and still, you know, people needed stuff baked um, for, you know, family stuff. I'm awful at cake decorating. Like, I tried... That, that was what got me intrigued with this is like making sugar pretty and went to the Long Beach City like cake decorating class and like at the end of it the teacher was like unless you're going to be like the Picasso of cake decorating <laughs> you might want to rethink this because my hands aren't steady anymore so I shake <laughs> so, so piping icing <laughs> looking like you got Alzheimer's doesn't really work you know, not all of them, what is it, Parkinson's? You know, I was, like, shaking like crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I had to kind of rethink that whole thing. Like, it kind of got me, and, and that's what had me segue back into animal medicine. Well, because I was still, like, side shop doing this and working with food trucks every now and again on, like, specific shifts, the industry boomed over the last, you know, five years especially. And it it no longer is one of those, like, Hollywood, L.A. fly-by-night type trends, which was kind of another one of my worries. You know, this is the land of things are really popular for three months and, like, super popular for three months and then absolutely die out. So I kind of, you know, we were kind of wondering about the longevity of it. I mean, well, now people are legitimately getting, you know, $35,000 a month contracts to go serve at SpaceX twice a week. You know what I mean? Like, there's legit, this is a legitimately viable industry. So. I started working back into, you know, the different, like, different trucks, just working at the, as a front of house, just picking up shifts, and started, you know, still honing my baking and all that other stuff, and incorporated marijuana into my life at about 30. <laughs> um, I was having really bad anxiety. I couldn't sleep, and started utilizing it myself after, like, doing legitimate research. Like, you know, I kind of always was the bodybuilding-ish kid in terms of nutrition and health like I didn't smoke I really didn't drink you know I've never taken a, like a drag off of a cigarette I don't do drugs weed was never really my thing you know what I mean I didn't really see its necessity I, I, I wasn't against it it just wasn't something that you know I felt like I needed to do well then I had my son yeah. couldn't go to sleep couldn't get rid of this anxiety a girlfriend told me about it we talked about it I kind of did my own research it was amazing so right. uh, so it kind of got me understanding and researching the health properties of marijuana and the conditions that it actually, you know, in spite of reefer badness, <laughs> it, you know, I started researching like, oh, it helps, you know, it helps asthmatics with respiratory issues. It, you know, obviously yeah. it's not necessarily if it's smoked with, you know, if it's smoked. So like I suggested, it helps with respiratory issues. You know, it helps with anxiety. If you put it on topically, it can help with eczema. It helps with arthritis. It was just like this amazing plant. Well, mm -hmm. fast forward, you know, five years. Last year, my aunt, who was kind of like one of the matriarchs of my entire dad's side of the family, sure. I realized that she was really sick. Um, she was kind of, you know, she was in her, in her late 80s. My cousin was starting to post on Facebook that she wasn't feeling well. I started to kind of go visit her, and 
she was just in a lot of pain. Um, she, for a minute, they thought she had spinal cancer because on her x-rays, it showed black spots, I'll say, on the x-rays. So they were assuming that it was massive. Well, when they actually went in there to go look to see what was going on, it was holes that had been worn into her spine, literally just from life. Like, she, you know, she was this little gangster granny who was like a machinist. Yeah, she was pretty hardcore and lived her life pretty hardcore, like, drove trucks for a minute. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> her her body was just starting to break down. And me now, at this point, probably having used cannabis for maybe 10 years consistently, was telling my cousin, hey, you need to give her weed. And, you know, I was telling her, she doesn't have to smoke it. You know, there's so many other ways for her to ingest it. Because she was at the point where she wasn't eating and, like, had been prescribed every known narcotic to man and nothing was working. For a couple of months, I was telling my cousin, weed, just give her weed. I'm not going to make her smoke weed. Okay, we'll get her some lemonade. She's not going to drink it. She won't even know it's in there unless you open your mouth. But, you know, she, you know, the use of marijuana when it's not to get someone high and, you know, relax them for recreational purposes, a lot of people still don't understand. You know, a lot of people still have a difficult time wrapping their head around the medicinal properties. People don't understand that the U.S. government owns several patents on cannabis for medicinal purposes, and that's one of the reasons why it may never go federally legal until they can just pass it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's definitely a viable medicine. Well, my cousin didn't believe me, and so she took my aunt to the doctor, and the doctor was like, okay, we've asked, literally prescribed her every known narcotic there is. You need to start using cannabis. <laughs> and so when her, <laughs> when, when, the doctors were telling my cousin cannabis. My cousin got in the car. She didn't, she didn't even pull out of the parking lot of the doctor's office. She called me. She was like, hey, cuz, okay, I'm sorry. I should have listened to you two months ago. Doctors are telling me I need to give grandma weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Because I was telling her, at the very least, it's going to give her the munchies and it's going to make her want to eat, which is going to help her with her pain. Um, right. So... We started, like, that night, we kind of just started, like, I had some bath salts to give my aunt, and she was going to go get some gummies to, you know, we were going to start incorporating cannabis. So I, I, I was summoned to her house, and, and she, she called me in the middle of the night. She was like, we're changing it up. She was like, we're going to learn to make it. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, I need you to come over here. So I get to her house, and when I hit the door, like the driveway, I smelled this really weird weed smell. It, it, there's no doubt it's cannabis. But it's not being smoked yeah. or, you know what I mean? It's not on a bong. It's, and I'm like, what is that smell? But it's strong. Right. I walk in and there's a 24-quart pot of weed boiling, basically, on the stove. And my cousin informs me, we're going to learn how to make the oil because we're going to have to buy so many edibles for Grandma. Like, it's going to cost you much because yeah. we're going to have to give it to her all day long, yada, yada, yada. We're going to learn how to make it. Now, <laughs> my cousin is still, like, even to this day, she's still, like, against the whole weed thing because, unfortunately... We didn't get to use it for my aunt. She literally died the same day we were making the first batch. She died that night. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. it sucked. Um, but we're actually, you know, we're using the oil that we learned how to make now uh, in a rub that we're going to eventually market and put in her name. So it's kind of like a, an, an ode to her. But as my cousin is standing there wondering how it's going to help grandma, I'm sitting there looking at the pot, literally hearing like, you know, when the person at Veg in Vegas hits the jackpot slot and the millions of coins <laughs> ching down yeah. and make all that yeah. noise, I'm literally looking at this pot and hearing that noise like, oh, my gosh, like, that, this is what I think it is? Like, 
And so I'm talking to the guy that's, like, showing us how to make it, and he's talking to me. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, you understand marijuana and understand how much this is worth and how much you can. And I was like, absolutely. So then I just, like, literally dove, I mean, balls to the wall, no stopping, not really even saying, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Like, oh, we're going to start making edibles. <laughs> that was last wow. September. That was last September. And I was like, where we're finding recipes and changing up methods of, like, extracting the oil and we're extracting butters and using olive oils and using coconut oils and making simple syrups out of <laughs> out of marijuana. And it's just, like, become oh, wow. this entire thing that, you know, we're, we are now cooking with cannabis. And it's incredible. I'm, like, serving infused meals and, like, people, you know, now that it's legal in California, people that would have never tried it are now have no problems trying it. And it's funny they always want to try edibles first, and I totally tell them not to. Like, this is not the way you want to try your first high. Oh, you're going to get a fucking bomb. <laughs> oh, my you're God, and like, it's going to... That was... Oh, man. This it's either going to be the most euphoric feeling that you're never going to want to get rid of, or you're going to hate it because the high lasts so long. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, you're either going to be so relaxed because you did it, you know, right before a vacation or while you're on vacation, and it helps you relax. Or you're going to do it one night before you have to go to work and be pissed off the next day because you literally can't wake up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as someone, as someone, I, I uh, actually just last Sunday on the 16th, I celebrated 11 years of sobriety, but um, I... Uh, congratulations, congratulations. I, oh, man. If the shit still worked for me, I'd probably still do it, to be honest. Right, you know. It, it didn't, it didn't anymore. Um, but I'm glad I am like, it's, it's like now my third life that I've been living. Um, right. cool, but, but like I, I smoked a lot of weed. I smoked a lot of weed and I, mm-hmm. I actually, I did, I, I was a chef. So like I, there's times when I would, you know, I'd get by some like, and, and I'd just buy like the, I wouldn't buy dank weed. I'd buy like just some swag and I'd like grind it up and then cook it with butter and, like you yeah. know the stuff that's like not the best you know and and then like strain the butter and then I make brownies or cookies or whatever just you know like I never was one of those I didn't have it like around where like oh I'm gonna make some eggs this morning and put some <laughs> I'm gonna cook it in my room like, like, <laughs> yeah it was like oh hey we're having a Christmas party and everyone that's coming to the Christmas party pretty much is on the same wavelength as me so let me make a right. thing of brownies or right. like, some wisdom. I had some wisdom teeth pulled, and they were like, "Do you want Vicodin?" And I'm like, "No, no, good." Like, yeah, like my I brownie. Already, I already, I already had a, I already was in prepare, preparation for this, so I made, you know, like I didn't say that to the doctor, but I'm like, no, I don't want. It. But I had already made brownies, you know, like right. I'm not gonna so yeah, you were I good. Like, I didn't like the never was like a pill guy ever. Yeah, like I was, I drink a lot of beer, margarita from time to time. Every once in a while, I have some, you know, other. You know, like a mar- like a martini or something, but mostly right. I was like beer and weed, right? And, you know, but but yeah, I mean, like, but so you you've done all this research and you're like, um, all you're just freaking all in, like we're going. Yeah, we'll see and- the exactly. Well, the thing too is that you know, uh, from again the body, there there are some amazing things. You know, I know I talk horribly about the whole bodybuilding experience. There was clearly some amazing things that I learned from it. You know what I mean? I'm 44 and still in pretty oh, good shape. At, at one point, I was 215 and knew how to get down back to being in really good shape. You know what I mean? And and I know how to right. stay healthy as far as nutrition. You know what I mean? I don't follow it, 
because I do like the taste of fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and cornbread and <laughs> stuff that you're not supposed to eat there being 100% healthy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd be friends with someone if they didn't like at least one of the three of those. So, like, I actually know one person that has never eaten nor fried a piece of food ever in their life. Oh, God. <laughs> they, they probably have the best life. Like, like, I just think of that, and I'm like, God. We know of. They're probably like, I have my happiest person there is. Like, I no, 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 no. This individual is pretty miserable. This individual's lived a pretty miserable life. Swear to God. Swear to God. This individual is one of the most miserable people I have ever met in my entire lives. Not a happy person at all. And I swear, every now and again, I'm like, I need you to eat a piece of fried chicken. Or I need you to do a bowl. I need you to smoke a bowl. Or I need you to eat some chicken or a piece, or a piece of cake. <laughs> eat a piece of cake. You'll be all right. Have some macaroni and cheese with butter in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, now, so yeah, I mean, for me, it was, you know, I never did the pills either. You know, I've never, you know, I didn't like to do the ibuprofens. I didn't like to do the Vicodins, you know, I because of that background. So when I was, like, starting to learn the, you know, medicinal properties of stuff, and, like, even with the medicated rub that we make, you know, it, the stuff that it helps or relaxes, <laughs> it's almost insane. Like, I had somebody who had a toothache and rubbed it on his face, and the toothache went away. Well, I mean, there's there's studies of like like people with skin cancer will rub C, can put a topical oil of CBD yep. on, on the freaking and it'll start to draw the tumor out. Yep. It, I mean, there's people that you know it helps with everything. No, I'm I'm totally in that camp. I'm like yeah, like I like even even being a sober guy, like like fuck man, like if I can find a natural way to do all these things and it comes through CBD oil, right? Oh hell yeah. Like, yeah, you know, oh, it's just, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite the, I, I just served a, an infused meal on Friday and it was funny to see the people, like how it hit them and how it metabolized and how it made them feel because, you know, everybody went from, you know, it was kind of quiet because there was people like in the group that didn't really know each other. Like there was two little factions or whatever. And maybe within uh-huh. 15, 20 minutes of them starting to eat the entire melting pot. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> everybody was enjoying everybody's company. Everybody was talking yeah. about how how relaxed they were. You know what I mean? Everybody started laughing. I mean, and who doesn't want that world? <laughs> I, I think. Hey, and just just for future, when when you say a statement like that and and use the term melting pot, I think you need to say afterwards, pun intended. Pun intended. Melting pot pun intended. is pun intended. Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of pun intended. Um, it, that's that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome though. Like like you just and people are they're like hey this is what we want and then you and you find a way to to yeah mix if it, it has a fat or sugar in it it can have weed in it I mean that's really the basic yeah. premise and the funny thing is so like when I the first day when I when I walked into this ginormous pot of weed. Because when you're talking about how you get like some of the some of the crap weed and grind it up, so I'm looking yeah. at it because again, my mom being the fiduciary genius that she is, also instilled that in me. You know, my mom owned a hair salon by the time she was 22, and maintained it for 25 years, and made 125 thousand dollars a year, a few years, just doing hair on her GED. So sure. the whole notion that you know you have to be a college graduate, you know, to have a lucrative career is crap, but. You know, what I was looking, you know, she taught me all about business and product and cost and all that other stuff. So I'm looking at this ginormous pot, and the friend of the cousin 
was the local neighborhood weed man. You know what I mean? In California, you know, the, the, I spent half the week in Long Beach. I spent the other half the week in Compton. So, you know, this is, this is part of my Compton family. <laughs> and I'm looking at this pot like, dude, that's got to be at least $1,500 worth of actual weed in this pot. <laughs> and I'm I'm mad as a weed smoker because <laughs> I'm like, why do you do weed? Right, right. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, you could just gave me that because I'm like, okay, we don't need to use buds for this because I had already been in culinary school. I already understood yeah. what oil does and what water does and yada yada yada. So, yeah. <laughs> so I started to like rethink the process and realized, oh, I can take the stuff that the weed man throws away. And make the yeah. same stuff. The scraps. The, the scraps. scraps. There's ton of ton of oil in the stems. Yeah. And so like I don't even like so to me stems like because now knowing that you can literally take the leaves that they cut off and make mm-hmm. incredibly potent oil. Like I don't even like bother with stems and sticks anymore. You know I don't bother with stems and sticks. That's that process to extract the THC from those takes forever. Where the process with just even the, just the trim, it's the actual leaf part that they that they legitimately yeah. discard, can make unbelievably incredible oil. <laughs> like there isn't anybody that hasn't, like anybody that's tasted any of my edibles, the sauces that I make, the sweet peas, the agua frescas, any of it. Every single response I get is, I can't believe how one, it didn't taste like weed. Two, it made me incredibly relaxed. And three, how strong it seems. Yeah. I'm like, cool, because I don't eat it <laughs> at all. Nice, nice. <laughs> I do not awesome. eat the edibles. That's the funny thing. I can't. You just never get out of bed. I would never get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. When I have uh, to make batches of them, you know, I, I I get tired just from having to, like, you know, eat a ball every now and again. Right, right. Um, and so now you're gonna, are you gonna take that concept and then move it into a food truck or are you gonna, are you gonna do something completely different with the food truck? Yeah, I'm gonna do something completely different with the food truck. You know, I, they haven't started to explore the ideas of an intoxicant being mobile. Um, you know, they have, you know, and I actually did look into it because, and, and so right now, like when you see like mobile beer gardens and mobile, like you go to the, the different, like fairs and stuff, and they have, like, mobile margaritas, it's because that particular booth is affiliated with a brick-and-mortar that has a liquor license. So because weed, yeah, weed is considered basically like a liquor. You know what I mean? It's treated just like an intoxicant the way alcohol is. So right now they haven't explored how, yeah. (laughs) Not even anywhere close to the damaging um, damage that alcohol can do. Not at all. That's the crazy part. But they're treating it like it's work. No, I mean, but that's in everybody's opinion. I mean, who, who, give me, if you had to choose between room A and room B, and room A is 100, each room is 100 people, but in room A, everybody's drunk, and in room B, everybody smoked a joint. I'm going in room B. I'm not going in room A at all. There's going to be fights. There's going to be shit talk. There's going to be all kinds of aggressive bullshit going on in room A because no one can handle alcohol. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. You may have great moments. No one can handle alcohol because if you have great moments when you're drunk, that means you are fucked up in your hangover. <laughs> so, but everybody with weed, the most the most that happens is you ate too much, you wake up, and you got to poop. That's the worst. <laughs> that's as bad as it gets. <laughs> you munch yourself too much, and you run out of toilet paper. Like, that's as bad as it gets. You're not fighting with anybody. You're not arguing with anybody. 
you know, everybody, everything is love and peace and munchies. What world isn't that wonderful in? You know what I mean? So, yeah. So far, nothing mobile as far as the edibles. And even right now, I mean, quite frankly, you know, they're, what's sad about this industry is that uh, our government <laughs> doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so things are changing literally every quarter. Laws are changing every six months. You know what I mean? They're They're continuously trying to make things more difficult because what's happening is they're seeing how many people, now that it is legal, are starting to rely less on what they are already gaining taxes from and exploring cannabis as other options. You know what I mean? You know, for, for everything. I mean, when you go into a dispensary, there's all kinds of stuff for your non-smoking needs. You know what I mean? And, and it's for, you know, oh, this lotion, it helps for eczema, and it really does. You know, and, and all of them are printed with, you know, no, not FDA tested and blah, blah. You know, everybody has their government regulation sticker on there. But, like, people are really starting to understand the validity of those claims and are getting away from it. So the government's really trying to figure out how to tax it and monopolize it. And that's all that's happening right now. California state yeah. government and the U.S. federal government are just kind of biting everybody's way because they're really trying to figure out a way to monopolize it. Well, especially with, when it comes to California, because if you took, I think, California is like the fifth biggest economy in the world. I mean, it's like it one is. of those things where, like, like if if you if you add that that piece, like, then it becomes a whole different ballgame. But it was, I mean, to me, and, and like, I, I I I'm definitely not as educated as you on the laws and and everything. But there are a couple of things that that come to mind as, as far as like the mobile aspect of it. And and I would imagine the same thing that happens with like the mobile beer garden and whatever. But like there's that there's that one law that's on the books like the Mary I think it's called Mary's law where like if if I serve someone a number of cocktails and I don't I become responsible them, exactly it, yeah yeah so there's that I think and I'm pretty sure it's called Mary's law and then um, they just they just don't know what to do because now like they they just don't know they're like. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we have to make this legal. They voted it legal, but we weren't ready. But then you have the government. You have the government going. The government's going. Okay, so we need to figure out. Like, like, look at Colorado as like one of the the success stories, right? Where they have right. like, monitored from like seed to sale, right? And and it and it totally like revamped their whole economy in like in like a in a year of time in a yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the ridiculousness of it. It was within a year that they revamped their economy. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing. Like even here in California, so like when we are exploring, like in order to be able to be like in the dispensaries that are licensed. I mean, the lawyer, the the retainer for the lawyer for this industry yeah. is ridiculous. You know what I mean? So well, I mean, the viability of it is there. Yes. I was going to say the it's same thing. More, it, it's just creating more of an economic boom. Like it's, it like is. It's, it's gonna it's gonna hurt one section, and and that's like the people that have their freaking heels dug in and they're entrenched with the government, like big pharma and all that. Well, big pharma, it's like gonna kill big pharma. Unless they get in the game, and that that that's what they're trying to like do. What they're trying. Exactly that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah. That's exactly. They're actually already started it. The thing is, is their product is literally killing people. The synthetic marijuana that they have created, that that is that is that is actually legal for the government to to uh, to market. It, 
it's yeah, it's yeah, killing people. This shit that's, yeah, that's, that's fucking ridiculous. Just, uh, I could get all bent out of shape and spun around the axle. Yes, and okay, and another topic. Yeah. But hey, hey, listen, listen. I I'm like we could go for another like hour and a half. Can you believe it's been like an hour and twenty five minutes that we? I know that's crazy. Time. I just I literally just looked at my phone like oh I gotta get <laughs> I gotta, I gotta leave the house in half an hour. Here. <laughs> yeah. and you gotta get that phone back on the fucking charger. Yeah. I, I want. I, I want to. I want to pick up again and okay, yeah. do this again in a in a very very short time. I mean, we can do it next week okay. if you want. Well, I, I you know I, I gotta get Just some other people involved. I gotta get some other people involved. But we will. Uh, yeah. I will. I Don. This has been so much goddamn fun. <laughs> so much fun. So many laughs. I love. I, I mean, I think like we spent. Spent like a good twenty minutes at the beginning talking about old school shit, which was awesome. But this, this has been so much fun. Well, and, thank you, thank um, you. I'm I'm glad that uh, you you reached out when I when I put it out, put the feelers out there. Absolutely, this was a ball. Yeah. So next time you come to California, you need to let me know. We we will hook up. We're gonna go down to fucking Compton to my favorite barbecue <laughs> place of all time. Who? Get some brisket. Please don't tell me blood those. Blocking. He's not here anymore. He's not here anymore. He's in Hollywood. Oh, he has gotten Hollywood because he's huge. He's got. He even has a spot in Australia. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't keep that store. No, it's now called Mama's oh. Kitchen. Mm-mm. No, no, no. He moved that location. I don't know if it was the Compton location that he took all the equipment to Hollywood, but he has a spot in like North Hollywood somewhere by Sweet Peas, if I remember right. And I think he may have. Opened up a spot in like West LA or Culver City, but no, he's got about a company. I knew that they opened. I knew they opened one at the Grove. Yeah, okay. Maybe they kept. I thought they kept it. No, I love to go. I would go in and like buy enough, buy enough barbecue. Uh They would just give. They would just give me the whole loaf of bread in the back. Of course. I fucking. (laughs) Well, like I mean, like you order and they give you a couple slices. But then you right. order enough, and they're like, here, just take the fucking bag. I fucking love that place. And Cookie, Cookie, when I took a little break from from working in restaurants, I, mm-hmm. I worked as a financial advisor, and, and I think that's his his cousin, uh, the gal, I forget her name. I think her name was Mary. Uh-huh. Um, she said, she always said, when you call, just call and ask for Cookie. But when you come by, <laughs> you call and cookie, cookie told you to come in. Uh, she, like, she, she figured I'd became friends with this woman and, and man, they have the best damn barbecue. The best brisket I've ever had. Yeah. I mean it's like good. like hands down their brisket is like mm-hmm. and that and, yep. their, and their barbecue sauce is so garlicky. It was like God Yep. Some good stuff. Anyway, we're just gonna take another like twenty minutes talking about <laughs> talking about Compton barbecue, barbecue but, so. <laughs> Yeah. But but anyway, I uh next time I am in town I will make it a point to to get together with you. And Absolutely. Then, I hope that you just freaking Tremendous amount of success and uh, thank you, my dear. Luck to you, and you're welcome. Thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful Sunday. You too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Hewitt here, and I want to thank all of you that have listened and given us feedback over the number of weeks that we've been doing the podcast here and i wanted to tell you that we are sponsored by nobody we have no affiliations with anybody but if you want to support the podcast 
you're more than welcome to. I do this for fun and for free, but uh, if you guys feel like that it's pretty awesome and you want to contribute to the longevity of the podcast or you want to say, hey, Matt, here's a little bone for for doing this thing, uh, you're more than welcome to sponsor. I think there's a link on uh, wherever you choose to listen to your podcast, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google, uh, wherever you can listen to this podcast, I think there's a link that you can click on if you want to be a, a sponsor or a donor. You're more than welcome to do that. Again, I just want to thank you all for listening and keep supporting and keep reaching out and giving me your ideas, thoughts, and feedback. Peace.